not only could she be prosecuted under this statute, though, Chris, aren't there? There are a few others that uh, people have been talking about. I know in the news as well as I think uh, Comey himself brought brought some others up at his testimony today at the House Hearing Committee, as well as when he first came out with his press conference earlier in the week. Uh, I know 18 U.S.C. Uh, subsection 1924 is one that came up in my uh, research. Uh, I, that one, I think, had wording that spoke a little bit more directly to this, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, had you come across that one at all in your research? Yeah, I looked at that one, too. And I think that one's dealing with removing classified documents and materials without authority. And See, with, that with the intent... Speaks- that speaks more to the issue to me because this isn't really, you know, a question of taking it with an intent to, you know, go off and do something espionage related or hand it off. To me, it just seems like negligent removing for no good reason uh, from a, a secure location to an unsecure location. Yeah. And uh, uh, you should be careful, though, because she and she did this with intent. And I, 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 that's something that I wanted to talk about later, but let's just throw it in here now. And let's just, it seems like a good place to put it in. Sure. And so let's talk about intent for a second. And you can, you don't, you don't necessarily have to intend the result of, of anything for you to have intent for the action. Right. So if I, if I punch someone in the face and it turns out that that person has um, a super sensitive skull and I end up, you know, basically exploding their skull. This is getting really graphic. I'm sorry. Um, My word, Michael, (laughs) we're clean lyric rated on iTunes. Tread lightly. That that intent, that intent, I do not have to intend then to, to explode your skull, but I do have to intend to punch you, right? So that intent is there and that's called general intent. There's also such thing as, as specific intent, which would be the latter. So in in an example of a specific intent crime, typically you see assault and battery with the intent to maim or disfigure. Mm-hmm. Uh, larceny is also often a specific intent crime. So just picking up a backpack off the street, if you honestly think that that backpack is just you know, thrown out in the trash and right. you're not intending to deprive someone else of their property, then it's not larceny. Here, this is a general intent type type crime. She just needed to intend to do the action that caused the result. And she absolutely intended to set up a private email surfer. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, you, you make a really good point. Removal or mishandling. That is that is one of the outcomes that's listed in, in several of these statutes. And, uh, you know, I found it interesting when it was brought up in this testimony this morning of Kami before the House committee. It was mentioned that she'd signed the equivalent of a non-disclosure agreement when she was given clearance to have this classified information, which seems normal. It seems like they, you know, they're not going to just give you classified information. Obviously, you got to sign some piece of paper. Presumably, you read that piece of paper. Presumably, it puts a certain force of law upon you to act in a responsible manner. And one of the quotes, you can actually find this through uh, freebeacon.com is actually hosting this right now. We'll throw a link up on the website, too, so you can read the actual agreement that she signed or signatures on it. It's been released through a Freedom of Information Act request. FOIA. Yeah. Uh, But one of the quotes 
directly from it. This is the, the paper she signed, the, the non-disclosure agreement. It says, I have been advised that unauthorized disclosure, unauthorized retention, that's got to be issuing on a private server, right? Or negligent handling of SCI, that's sensitive compartmentalized information for our purposes, classified information, why not? Uh, by me could cause irreparable injury to the United States or be used to advantage by a foreign nation. And to that second point, I think the fact that she hosted it on a private server that she accessed through wireless technology or BlackBerry uh, while in foreign countries, that's a whole other matter because to anyone with any tech acumen, any tech savvy, the first thing I think of are state-controlled telecoms. As soon as you get into a hostile foreign nation, which the Secretary of State frequently is, you know, the telecoms aren't Verizon or AT&T or, you know, any of the large telecoms that we think of who, you know, before they give anything up to the government, they're like, well, mm, let me see your warrant or <laughs> let me see your subpoena. You know, uh, these are state-controlled telecoms often who will either give up the information that they've collected from just briefly connecting with a device, uh, either without being uh, cajoled much at all, uh, or or just they, they are an organ of the state. So basically the second you connect to their network, the state already has it. So that's that's an added level, I think, of negligence. It's not just keeping it on this server in your basement. It's basically traipsing around the world with it in your pocket there for anybody to, to come in and grab. Yeah, absolutely. And you would you, you might even think that it might even go one step beyond just being a state-run telecom company. They could very well say, hey, the Secretary of State from the United States is in town this week. Mm -hmm. Keep an eye on her web traffic. See absolutely. what's going on. And you have highly classified emails bouncing back and forth between her BlackBerry and her private server network over the airwaves that are controlled by some foreign, and you say hostile, but I think we all know that we mean foreign as in a, a government that's not ours. Right, with interests outside of our with own. With interests outside of our that, own. That may or may not be our ally. That's kind of scary to me. <laughs> and I mean, this isn't like, you know, hey, do you want to get lunch? You know, I'll send you an email. We had the Washington Times reporting a couple weeks ago that she may or may not have authorized or not authorized uh, highly classified drone strikes in Pakistan from her BlackBerry. Uh, that's a big deal, <laughs> you know? You don't want to be doing that, especially when traveling and, and uh, susceptible to interception from maybe not a hostile, but certainly a foreign power. Another statute that she could have been found in violation of according, and this is all according to the director himself. I mean, he kind of laid these out in, in my mind. But when, when I heard him speak on the subject, I'm thinking, well, he's just he's basically making the case for himself, but not making the connection in the leap to press the charges. So uh, another statute that she could have been arguably found in violation of is 18 U.S.C. 2071. And this one calls for anyone who has custody of classified material, check, right? She has it. Yeah. Willfully and unlawfully conceals, removes, removes, mutilates, obliterates, falsifies, or destroys, shall be fined or imprisoned not more than three years. She destroyed emails. That's a fact. Not only did she destroy them, 
but she destroyed them in anticipation of an investigation into her email and into her her workings with classified information. That well, is that is a huge deal. I mean, it is, but there it gets a little bit murky because she has a, a legal team that was doing this. And so I know one thing that stuck out to me today in the testimony given by the director of the FBI was that he had questioned her about whether or not she knew or had had a direct conversation with her legal team about what to delete, if anything, or if any instructions regarding deletion or removal of emails was given. And uh, they they had no evidence. So pres- presumably she answered in the negative. So that's, you know, she kind of gets a buffer that normal people, you know, don't seem to get. I, I mean, the fact that she was able to have a legal team review the emails before she gave them up to the department, to me, is ludicrous. Because you could bet uh, Private Gonzalez there or whatever he was devoted to when, when he was done didn't have that recourse when they, you know, came looking at the files that he'd, he'd accidentally carried off in his duffel bag or what have you. Yeah, and again, br- let's bring it down to a local level and let's talk about the local police investigating a drug dealer. Okay. And they, they, <laughs> they, scope, they scope out the guy's house. They see traffic going in and out of the house, maybe wads of money being exchanged. They go and get a warrant to go search this guy's house for drugs. Doesn't happen that quickly, but for the sake of time. They go in, and when do the police usually knock on the door with a warrant? Usually when the guy's in his underpants just waking up at 6 in the morning. Yeah. And doesn't have time to go and run and flush the, the drugs down the toilet. Right. Now imagine the police calling the guy up and saying, Hey, we want all the contents of your bedroom. But we only want the contents that could possibly be related to drug activity. And he says, hold on. (laughs) Hold on. Let me just separate out my personal items from any items that could possibly be related to drug activity. And And then we'll give you those. No, that's not how it works. That's not how an investigation works. So he assembles a legal team and he allows his (laughs) lawyers, his team of lawyers to come into his house. But so then, but so not only did did she have a legal team look over these emails, which could be a violation in and of itself. So she said that her legal team reviewed them extensively and found no classified information. And then something changed between that statement, mm-hmm. which was a few months ago, and what she just told the FBI this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Something changed because what she told the FBI and what Comey told us was that she had said to him that her legal team only read the headers and from the headers of the emails they could discern whether or not it was classified highly classified or not classified at all Mm -hmm. that is a change of statement because prior she said they were reviewing them extensively in depth reading all of the emails right which is a violation so i know why you can see why she would change that statement sure speaking of changed statements i was watching the house oversight committee hearing this morning and there was some fantastic, fantastic testimony that was elicited from the director by a representative from South Carolina, Trey Gowdy. And uh, Cowdy, he, he, he's an attorney. He was an attorney prior to being a rep. He clerked uh, for a judge in the federal appeals court. He was a federal prosecutor with the United States Attorney's Office. He's got some famous prosecutorial case against 
know, the, the the post office loves him because someone I don't know someone stole mail from the post office or something and he was the champion of that I don't I don't know needless to say he's a um, he's a seasoned prosecutor seasoned attorney friend of the postman <laughs> friend of the post I implore you to go and listen to the entire clip of him grilling the director here and it is it is lawyering 101 not just in the way that he leads Comey down a path of answers eliciting testimony from him but his overarching point that Hillary Clinton and her lies to the American people which Comey has come out and said yes she has lied not to him but to the people prior and these lies aren't just any old lies they're exculpatory lies this is one of the things I love about legal language there's some beautiful medieval Latin in there exculpatory of course uh you have uh, ex and culpare both in there from Latin. Ex, of course, out of or without commonly in English translation. And then uh, culpare uh, to blame, coming from culpa, the famous culpa of mea culpa uh, for fault. So basically statements designed to free one from guilt or blame. And that's a big difference. So exculpatory statements are statements that tend to show your innocence. No, I didn't. I wasn't doing that. I was doing this, right? No, I didn't steal the cookie. I was playing outside. False exculpatory statements. So when after the fact, when it's found out that your statement alleging your innocence was false and was a lie, those false exculpatory statements are used by prosecutors from shoplifting cases all the way up to felony murder cases or federal RICO cases in order to build the case of intent. Because it looks pretty bad if you're caught lying saying that you were innocent. Now, what about Representative Jim Gordon talking about context? I think he, he made an interesting point here that when we hear about context coming in or, or a question of intent in terms of context, we usually think of the defense, not the prosecution, and we think of mitigating circumstances that might come into a kind of discussion about sentencing or, or typically something that's, that's heard after the facts of the case are heard. As far as mitigation goes and, and context goes, I think he's right in the sense, and I think this is what he's talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, that, if you, that you can flip the context to, to work the other way too. And the context of this, of this entire investigation smells funny you have a week ago bill clinton magically appearing at the same airport that loretta lynch is at in for those who you don't know she's the head of the doj right so she is director comey's boss (laughs) yeah and she's in charge of the entire department of justice and therefore this entire investigation Uh, just a couple of days later then you have hillary clinton on a holiday weekend availing herself to the fbi for a three and a half hour talk, <clears throat> a talk that she said she loved, that she that she really looked forward to and, and, and took pleasure in going. I, I, I have no idea what she's talking about. No one loves that. No one loves getting grilled <laughs> by the FBI for three and a half hours on Fourth of July weekend. I'm sorry. That's just that's not true. <laughs> then two days after that, you have the FBI director come out. And basically say all of the things that she did wrong, all of the laws that she violated, yet 
we're not going to recommend charges because this is a weird statute that hasn't been used in 100 years and there's no precedent. And then, so there's more, you have the sitting president flying her to a campaign spot on Air, Fa on Air Force One and saying that she's the most qualified human to ever run for this office. Ever. Ever. He, he said ever twice. I don't know how anyone can look at that and not and not have some sort of alarm going off in their head about something is up. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really fall on the conspiracy theory side. I personally think the the Clinton meeting at the airport, I, I, th I believe him. I think it was probably innocent. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it was probably just, you know, not thinking about how it looked, which is a mistake. You should really be thinking about how that looks. I mean, it, it doesn't, if you're Bill Clinton, it's not helping your wife's case at all to raise that kind of doubt in the minds of the American people who are already not thrilled with her, let's be honest. It's just really poorly handled. I, I think that's the thing. You have a prosecutor who's coming forth with all this argument for how she's negligent, arguably criminally, citing the lack of precedent as the reason why he's setting a precedent for not prosecuting. Even more insulting, it's the director of the FBI who characteristically and traditionally in the United States is not the body that makes the decisions about prosecuting at all. They just hand over the evidence. He did a great job of handing over the evidence. He did a terrible job of recommending whether or not <laughs> you should prosecute. And uh, we shouldn't be surprised. Historically, that's not what the FBI's cut out to do. And I, I you know, I think, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the FBI has a, a long history of, of being criticized for being a, a little bit protectionist about, about being a a little bit uh, protective in what they release and when. Do you think there's anything there? So you mentioned hokey conspiracy theories just a, just a second ago, and this is one of mine. And, <laughs> and yeah, I don't, full disclosure, yeah, and it's not so much a conspiracy theory per se. Sure. It's just my, it's just a vision theory. and my idea of how the FBI operates. I have a few family friends in the FBI too, so I'm wondering if they're going to listen to this and. And smack me for it. We'll oh, see. Michael. Um, but the FBI has always thought of themselves as the protectorate of the nation. And for those of you who have seen the, the Leo DiCaprio movie, J. Edgar, I remember being, it was more or less okay. It wasn't, wasn't the best movie I've seen. But there was a great scene in it where he's kind of standing in his balcony in, in the FBI looking down at, I think, Constitution Avenue over the years and every single after every four years or every eight years he's the same guy standing there but there's a different president riding in the limousine down the street <laughs> and it was just I'm like, that embodies exactly how I picture the FBI similar to the CIA kind of, kind of kind of the same thing they stand constant as presidents come and go right mm. Hoover is famous for having a file cabinet full of all the women that JFK was sleeping with. He never once went public with it. Why? I mean, he knew that it would be it would be horrible for a nation to to deal with that sort of issue. It was a scandal that they didn't need, especially in the 60s. Right. Um 
So I don't know. There could be something here behind closed doors that just the FBI doesn't want to touch because it would be bad for the nation overall. And that's what's really ingrained in, in, in their heads is what their job is. And one of these things is that it, it, there would be a, the requirement in any case brought against Hillary Clinton in this in this capacity, in this setting, under, under these situations, to put President Obama on the witness stand to testify in a criminal case. And I can see the FBI's point of view where that would just be, that would make this horrible situation of American politics that is 2016 that much worse. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine Which, that circus? I mean, he would have to because he was the sitting president during the time in question. I mean, he would most certainly be brought to testify. For those of our listeners who might be, whoa, what was this Obama testifying at a left field thing? No, this is a very real possibility. If you put her before a grand jury, she's not going to be the only one testifying. It's it's going to be a whole circus. And, I, you know, I, I don't know if I buy into conspiracy theories, but I think that's a it's a theory I could I could see being true. I mean, we'll, we'll never know. But I, I I don't think you're too far off there, Mike, that, uh, you know, maybe there is a sort of uh, mothering protectionist sort of trend going on here that might explain why they're just not super eager to prosecute again. Why? one of the key reasons why you don't have the FBI making the decisions about the prosecution. You have them turning over the evidence. And so despite whether or not she's going to be prosecuted, because technically, technically I know Loretta Lynch has said that she will take the advice of the FBI. And she said that a while ago. Mm -hmm. So she kind of forced the FBI's hand here, almost asking them for a recommendation to take her out of it. Again, a breakdown in typical legal legal procedure. That's right. Not, That's, this is mistaken. not typical. Yeah. However, it, it's still her prerogative whether whether or not to decide to to bring charges and to try to indict her. So, it, while it could still happen, it's 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 not. It's not at this point going to happen. Despite all of that, I mean, just because someone doesn't break a law or isn't charged with a crime. That doesn't mean that what they did was ethical, smart, or okay. You know, to me, I know this is a very heated partisan issue. And I know if you listened to the testimony that was given this morning, this Thursday morning, uh, you got the sense, depending on what the letter was that was put in front of uh, the state that the representative was from, you know, if it was an R and you were a Republican, then you were just harping on those legal facts. You were harping on the details of the law. You're talking about what it is to be a prosecutor, what it is to prosecute. Uh, you're talking about intent. If you had a D in front of your state that you came from, if you were a Democrat, you were <laughs> apologizing first and foremost to the director for having to be there. You were lamenting the tremendous wastes of government resources that this entire proceeding was. You probably had something not so nice to say about Petraeus, and I don't blame you. That was another circus that probably should have become, uh, you know, testimony before a grand jury, although I think he pleaded guilty, did he not? Yeah, they Eric Holder dropped the, dropped the charge to a misdemeanor, I believe, yeah, and then he pled correct. guilty to that. Right. 
But I mean, there were my point here that I'm laboriously crawling towards is is that there were two distinct narratives going on in this room. This was not a unified committee going after this guy trying to get answers. Half of them were saying, "Give us the answers because we don't agree with what you're saying." And the other half was saying, they don't agree with what you're saying because they don't like the answer. Please, will you clarify this so we never have to do this again? And that to me is is very interesting. And regardless of political stripe, all of that aside, this is what I think. And you'll maybe you'll indulge me in this analogy, Michael. If I'm Let's a C, if if I'm an executive in a company, because I you know I'm in the corporate world right now. I'm not a I'm not a lawyer like you, so corporate structure makes more sense to me, and I think it makes sense to a lot of our listeners. Consider yourself too. lucky. I know. Well, hmm. <laughs> corporations are a lot like going to wards, except instead <laughs> of dead bodies, there's dead companies, bankrupt companies. So no, it's it's not that much fun. But let's say I'm an executive, a low level executive or a high ranking manager, and I want to be the CEO of a very public company. And let's say that I in some way engage in some negligent activity that seriously compromises the intellectual property rights of my company. In some way, I have some information that compromises the company as a whole. The company makes a very public spectacle of this by publicly saying to everyone, look, this was a mistake, he's acknowledged it, and we're not going to fire him, you know, assuming I'm the person in this case, him or her. Don't forget, I'm this manager or executive who wants to be the CEO of this company. How does it look if, while I'm waiting to hear back on this promotion and they say, look, in light of all this evidence, we're not going to fire you, I say, oh, thank you. Uh, by the way, uh, we've really turned the discussion away from my promotion. Uh, how's it How's it looking on that? Uh, do you, do you, you know, I, thank you for not firing me for this gross negligence, but... Um, do, do, you, do you think you could promote me? Uh, am, I, am I getting that CEO job? That, I think, would look really bad. <laughs> and I think any board of directors would probably say, get out of our office. You know, get just get out. Like, what, what are you thinking? I think it carries over here. I think that's what's leaving such a terrible taste in everyone's mouth, is that this isn't, oh, poor Hillary Clinton. She was completely, uh, you know... Uh, cleared of any wrongdoing there was nothing going on here no the story is they're not going to prosecute that's very different from no wrongdoing you have a lot of guts to say hey i want to go from a cabinet position or from being a former senator to being the commander-in-chief and the leader of the nation and the leader of all the executive institutions in the nation when you've just been found guilty or you've just been seriously implicated in gross negligence. I think it takes a lot of nerve to continue your campaign. I think it I think it's going to turn a lot of people off and I'm interested to see her poll numbers over the next uh, week, two weeks, month or so. I think Hillary already had a trust problem to begin with and it's and it's not it's not even native to Benghazi or the email crisis. So if you uh, if you google there's a great New Yorker post that that you sent me, a New Yorker article that you sent me on. I think it's I think it's titled "Hating Hillary Clinton" or "Hating Hillary." It is, but don't let the don't let the title scare you off. I mean, no, is, don't let the title the New, scare you off. Yeah. It's the New Yorker people, so give it, it a shot. It's it's about uh, 
I, I guess it's about the act of Hillary hating or the phenomena of, of, of Hillary hating that was so prevalent in 1996 when the article was written. It is a it, great read. Very well it, written. It's a fantastic read. It It's it's not a quick read, so make sure you have a little bit of time to actually sit down and read something like the right. good old days. Right. Great thing to hit, uh, you know, maybe this Sunday with a cup of coffee. You know, that article to me, Mike, I'm glad you brought it up because to me it reads like the the old New Yorker, like the classic New Yorker or, or the Atlantic or what print media read like in the glory days. And, you know, 1996, this was right before the fall, right? This was right before yeah. digital media really was, you know, right when it was in its infancy. Um. But yeah, it is. It's just a very well-written article. And it, it kind of addresses this issue of this almost preternatural distrust for Hillary Clinton at a gut level that people had way back when it was just, you know, whitewater that she was dealing with. And I'm not saying whether or not it's warranted or not, but the problem right. exists. Yeah. And so something like this makes a problem like that a lot worse. Yeah. And even tonight while we were... Uh, on a separate note, tonight while we were preparing this show, news agencies are now reporting that the the State Department is reopening the investigation into her handling of classified information, presumably to determine what administrative action could be taken, if any. Um, we could see possibly her security clearance stripped. I think Paul Ryan formally submitted a bill to do such. And what would happen then? I mean, that's we're getting into uncharted wa waters of a presidential candidate being stripped of her security clearance. Right. It would, uh, you know, I don't know how much of a security clearance you really need to campaign successfully. Presumably she'd get it back if she won the presidency. You can't have a president who doesn't have a security clearance. That's madness. It doesn't make any sense. But I mean, I, I think it would be more damning uh, just politically. It would just look terrible. And you know, Donald Trump would uh, he'd make some clever nickname out of it or something. You know, that's his thing, you know, right? A little Marco. And yeah, well, he's, he's already Ted got, and he's always got crooked. He's already has <laughs> crooked Hillary, I think, yeah. is, is, is is what he's, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to watch, though, that's for sure. I think the takeaway for me here is try to, if you can, you know, just a note to our listeners, try to divorce this situation from its political implications and think about the law because like everyone has said there is no precedent for this we are setting a precedent i mean there is this case that we mentioned that is eerily similar but again it's the analog version of it like we said there is a precedent being set right now in the united states law for how emails are handled how classified information is handled in the digital age and i i really think that is where the debate should be centered Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Over and Above. Be sure to check us out on the web at overandabovenews.com. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Beyond the Media. Also, check us out on our brand new bright and shiny Google Play account. We're on Google Play for anyone who is interested in using that. But if you like what you heard, or if you hated it, subscribe to our podcast on whatever medium you choose if you haven't already. Mm -hmm.